Sister Mary says the current global refugee crisis is a huge opportunity for the gospel. She says we don't need to look at refugees with fear. Look to what the Bible says about immigrants. Do not look to what your government tells you about immigrants. Do not look to what your culture tells you about immigrants. These people have come to your country. They have come from countries where it is very, very difficult for North Americans to get to, but yet they are in our backyards. And what an opportunity this is for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. I'm in the studio today with John and Mary, at least that's what we're going to call them. Uh, They have been working for the last five years among a Muslim people group, uh, first in a country in the Middle East, and now working in Europe uh, among immigrants and refugees. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. This is a very timely conversation as we here in the United States think about Uh, the possibility of Muslim refugees coming here. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about that ministry, what it looks like, uh, what the challenges are. uh, And then, as we always do, we're going to equip you to pray for those who are working among Muslims, not only in the Middle East, in their home countries, uh, but working among Muslims in Europe as well. John and Mary, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank Thank you. you very much. Thanks for having us. Let's talk a little bit about how God called you into this work. And just, uh, I know you could probably share the whole half hour on that, uh, but just briefly, how did God lead you from a comfortable American Christian life to go half a world away and share the gospel with Muslims? Well, both John and myself were called to serve the Lord uh, as missionaries when we were adolescents. And we not only felt a call to serve as missionaries overseas, but also to serve specifically with Muslims. The two of us met when we were in university. Uh, We got married and then went on to seminary and did our master's degrees. And then after that, we were appointed with the agency with which we're now serving and with which we've served for the last uh, five years or so. We are now in Europe uh, serving among an immigrant Muslim people group, but we were previously in this particular country before moving to Europe about three years ago. We had done an internship while we were doing our master's degree in this particular country and felt through that internship that the Lord was calling us to return long term and serve with this particular people group. You know, we've heard a lot about refugees, Muslim refugees coming into Europe. But even before this current crisis in Syria and the Middle East, there were thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of Middle Easterners who immigrated to Europe. They just moved there. As you work with both of those groups, is the approach the same or is it very different from somebody who maybe has lived in Europe for 10 or 15 years as opposed to someone who just came, you know, five months ago because their country's in the middle of war? Sure. I think there's a big difference between those who have immigrated years and years ago and came with employment opportunities and they established themselves there and they have a family and now their kids and even in some cases grandkids and beyond have been growing up and living in Europe and speaking the local language of whatever country that they're residing in 
versus refugees who are coming now who in many cases have lost everything, have lost family members, they're coming without language, they're not coming with job and educational opportunities waiting for them and that does make things quite different not only for them as people coming to Europe but for us as missionaries as we think about reaching them. The people that you mentioned earlier John who've been there for years and like you say they have kids maybe even grandkids now what is their Islam like? Are, are they devout, you know, five times a day pray Muslims? Or are they, yeah, I was born in a Muslim family, I'm a Muslim, but they don't really read the Quran or, or practice the five pillars? Or is there just a wide variety? I mean, I think anywhere that you find Muslims living in some type of community, of course, there is a variety of people, those who tend to be quite devout and those who for all intents and purposes, are basically atheists with the title Muslim on top of them. But for most of the people that we connect with, most of the friends that we have personally, I would say the vast majority of them are quite nominal. So they would consider themselves Muslim. They may occasionally go to the mosque on some of the major holidays to pray. And in some respects, they will participate in some of the religious festivals in so much as it's an opportunity for them to bring their family together to spend time with one another. So again, certainly there are people who are extremely devout and who are attempting to follow the five pillars of Islam, who are praying five times a day at the mosque, more or less with the community that we're a part of, I would say that most of them are nominal. And is that also true among the refugees that are coming in, that just mostly nominal? Or are the refugees typically maybe a little more devout because they've been in the Middle East more recently? That's a really great question, actually. And again, I think you're, you're always going to have a range of people, you know, when you're dealing with a Muslim people group that maybe is, is whatever, uh, 100 million or 200 million or, or however large it happens to be, you're going to have a range of people. In the case of, of refugees, again, there's a range. I would say in our experience that oftentimes we're not dealing with people who are extremely devout. And a large part of that is because those who are fleeing war or oppression or some type of an Islamic government or perhaps a dictator using Islam as kind of a source of power, they've dealt with the very extreme forms of Islam. They've dealt with some of the very difficult aspects of Islam. And for many of them now, especially those coming to Europe, there's a rejection of that form of Islam. And I think as a result, an openness, an increasing openness to the gospel. And I would also just simply add that of the immigrant people group that we're focusing on and also of the refugees that we have met, none of them are radical and none of them are sympathetic toward radicalized Muslims like ISIS and Al-Qaeda. If that's Islam, they don't want it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with John and Mary. They are working among a Muslim people group in Europe after living in the Middle East for a couple of years and learning the language there. Uh, John, let's talk about those what we might call nominal Muslims. The, you know, they're born in a Muslim family. If you ask them, of course, they would say they're Muslims, but don't read the Quran, don't pray five times a day. How do you move towards, hey, I want to talk to you about Jesus with with those kind of people? Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is for us as missionaries, the term missionary among virtually every Muslim people group is extremely it negative. It's toxic. Very toxic. <laughs> um, and they have all sorts of really weird beliefs about who missionaries are, that they want to come and dominate our culture, that they want to change us, they want to convert us to Christianity. In some cases, they believe that missionaries come and steal their children and force them into prostitution. There's a lot of really wow. extreme beliefs that Muslims have about missionaries. So you're not handing out your business card. Absolutely not. <laughs> so on the one hand, we absolutely want to 
avoid being associated with the term missionary. At the same time, we absolutely want our Muslim friends to know that we're Christians so that when they have a question or perhaps they have a dream or a vision or a powerful encounter with God, we want them to know that they can come and talk to us and that we'll be willing to talk to them about those questions, to answer those questions if possible, and to pray for them and walk with them through that journey. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned dreams and visions, and I want to focus specifically on Mary because I know, Mary, a part of your personal testimony involves a dream, and uh, it just amazes me. In fact, it kind of gives me chills that God would put that in your life story and then send you to work among Muslims who so commonly are having dreams and visions. So talk a little bit about your story and then how, how that translates into what you're doing now. Uh, when I was a teenager, I lost my, my mother suddenly. She passed away completely unexpectedly in the middle of the night of a heart attack one evening. And up until that time, as a teenager, had not been following the Lord. I had a, I guess, a foundational belief in God. I believed in God. I didn't have, I didn't have anything against Christians or against going to church, but I did not know Jesus as my personal Savior. A week after my mother passed away, I had a dream. And in this dream, my mother came to me and told me that she had gone to heaven to be with the Lord. Fortunately, my mother, though she was not perfect, did love the Lord, and I am positive that she is in heaven. And as my mother was talking to me in this dream, she told me, I will miss you, but you need to put your trust in Jesus. I've gone to heaven to be with my father, and you need to follow after Jesus for the rest of your life. I woke up from that dream and prayed to receive Christ. Wow. And that was basically how I came to know the Lord. A short time after that, I started attending church on a more regular basis, and I began to grow in my faith and began to come to the understanding that there is a huge difference between believing in God in your head and knowing who God is in your heart. Through coming to know the Lord, He really became my shepherd. As a teenager, I can't think of anything more difficult for a teenage girl than losing her mother mm -hmm. suddenly. And unfortunately, my father was not in the picture either, so I was very much alone at that time. So how that translates now to working with a Muslim people group is I found it's quite advantageous. I would not wish on anybody to lose their mother. Right. I would not wish on anybody to lose a parent at all. We, I, If anybody is listening to this and you've lost a parent, I am so sorry. I know it is one of the most difficult things in life that you'll ever walk through. However, the Lord has truly been the Redeemer and has redeemed this situation to allow me to share my testimony in quite natural conversation with Muslims. Most Muslims have a strong belief and a strong value in dreams, and they'll talk openly about their dreams. I got my hair cut maybe just a month ago at the, the hair salon where I go. I go to a salon that's run by this particular immigrant people group with which we work. And these ladies started talking about dreams. I was so, I was so surprised. In these natural conversations, they will often ask me, oh, do you believe in dreams? Or I can then ask them, yes, do you, or do you believe in dreams? And talk to them about how I came to know the Lord through a dream. And most of the time, that's very well received. It's amazing to me. And I think as you talk about the grief and how you'd never wish that on anyone, but I think we see again and again, God doesn't waste our experiences. He will not waste a trial or a challenge or something, a grief, uh, he'll not waste that in if we will allow him to use it, allow him to to build it into our lives. And I love, uh, I'm just thinking, because we hear the stories all the time, and I'm sure you do too, of Muslims 
having a dream or having a vision and being able to come to you and say, well, actually, let me tell you my story. Uh, I just love how God used that, was preparing you, even then was preparing you for what you're doing now. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with John and Mary. They are working among an immigrant people group in Europe. Mary, you shared a story earlier with me about going to the hospital. Just talk a little bit about that and and some of the unique things that happened that I have never heard of before. So I want you to share it with our listeners because it's it's kind of mind-boggling to me. Well, first of all, the story that I'm going to share was a surprise to myself as well. <laughs> it was something I was not prepared for and I was not expecting, but the Lord was faithful and was there with me in this situation. So a few months back, uh, one of my Muslim friends of the people group with which we work had a baby. And she asked me if I could come to the hospital. I was quite honored that she wanted me by her side right after her baby was born. So I showed up to her hospital room maybe 12 hours after this baby arrived. This baby was beautiful. She had a thick a head of thick, dark hair. She had beautiful, big eyes. And she had the sweetest look on her face. I was so thankful to be able to be there for my friend in her time of both vulnerability and joy. Now, my friend, she has two other children in addition to this baby, but she tells me that I'm the aunt. I'm auntie. I'm Auntie Mary to her children. So I felt like a very proud aunt so you're, that morning. So you're family now. I mean, I, this, this is beyond friendship. Now you're in, you're in the family. Right. I am Aunt Mary. Well, I was a very proud aunt that morning. I was holding the baby just kind of in a, I guess, a state of baby bliss when a surprise <laughs> visitor walked into the, the room. Not only was I surprised, but my friend who had just given birth was also surprised. My friend does not speak the language of our host culture. So she asked me, who is this woman? Well, the woman that had come to visit was a smartly dressed Muslim woman wearing a headscarf and a hospital badge. Come to find out, this woman, this surprise visitor, was basically a hospital chaplain for Muslims. In Islamic circles, they would refer to her as a hoja. So she would be a Muslim teacher. Uh, she would know the Quran quite well. She would be a devout Muslim and probably be one of those that, that follows the five pillars of Islam quite to the T. This surprise visitor, this hoja, had come to pray over the baby and to dedicate her to the way of Islam. So I explained uh, why my, I explained who she was and why she had come to my friend, and my friend agreed to let her stay. I then reluctantly handed this baby over to this Muslim hoja. I did not want to let her go. I thought, no, I am the auntie. This yeah. is my baby. I'm holding on to her, and I do not want to give her to this Muslim hoja. The Muslim hoja took her, took this baby, and recited some verses of the Quran into each of her ears and prayed an Islamic prayer over her. And I felt completely helpless. All I could do was sit back and watch and pray in the name of Jesus for the eternal salvation of this child. It also really struck me that even though this baby had just been born the, the, the night before, the forces of evil were already at battle for the eternal salvation of her soul. It's a very interesting story. And I think, Mary, as you say, you prayed over that baby. I want to encourage our listeners pray for that baby. God has big plans for them. They've already had this Muslim dedication. Uh, we look forward to, at some point, a Christian dedication, a baptism, somebody coming to faith in Christ, uh, and we pray for that. As you're reaching out to Muslims and through your experience, what's what's kind of the key to, to reaching them with the gospel? What, what part of the gospel message 
seems to resonate most with the heart and the mind of a Muslim? Yeah, actually, of those Muslims who have come to faith in Christ, and they've actually done studies where they've gone back and they've interviewed Muslims who are believers who have come from Muslim backgrounds, and they found that there are three keys that tend to happen over and over and over in their faith journeys. And the first is that they maybe had a dream or a vision or a power encounter or they experienced God in some type of miraculous way. The second is that they began reading the scriptures. They began reading the Bible and experiencing the true living word of God for themselves. And the third, and this is really interesting, they had a Christian friend or relative. So they knew someone personally in their life who was a testament to what God had done in their life and that had an impact on them. So across the board, at least one, but oftentimes two, if not all three of those factors have been present in people's lives. And when we think about our friends that have come from Muslim backgrounds or other believers that we know throughout the Middle East and Europe, that does seem to be the case. They've experienced God in some type of powerful way. They began reading the Bible and experienced the living word of God for themselves. And in particular, they have a believing friend or relative where they've really been able to experience the work of God in that in that person's life. So, John, if I want to reach out to my neighbor who's a Muslim or I go to school with a Muslim, how do I help that process or, or how do I get on board with that process and try to move them in the, in the direction of faith in Christ? Yeah. You know, most Muslims who are living outside of their home culture, unless they've moved into a large metropolitan area where they're surrounded by other people from their home culture, oftentimes they're very isolated. And Muslims come from cultures that are extremely family-based and community-driven. And so when they're taken outside of that, they feel isolated, they feel alone, and they're looking for opportunities to be in fellowship with people. In fact, one of our close friends who had spent a number of years working in North Africa and then moved back to the United States, the first time that he moved into the home in the United States, he found out that he had a Muslim neighbor. And he went over to kind of meet them and to learn a little bit about them and found out that they'd been in the United States for 14 years. And in that 14 years, they'd never even been invited into an American's home, much less even had a relationship with a Christian. So we have such a phenomenal opportunity to find people who are in states of need, who are, who are longing and looking for fellowship. They would love to be a part of someone's family and a part of their activities. And I think if we invite them to be a part of those opportunities, another great example, some friends of ours that were living in Michigan and a number of refugees had moved into the area. This particular refugee family had no one else in the entire United States in which to be in fellowship with. And so they just began to invite them to come to their kids' soccer games and basketball games and school plays and other activities that their family was doing. And they found out very quickly this family was just longing for relationship, longing for fellowship, and they were able to have a really wonderful impact in their life and their family. So I would just say as an encouragement to you, if you have people that are living around you who perhaps come from Muslim countries or come from Muslim backgrounds or in fact themselves are Muslim, just begin to invite them to be a part of your family activities and events. You can have a really profound impact, I think. And I would just say on the flip side, in terms of this idea of hospitality, this friend that John was mentioning just a few months ago who spent over a decade in North Africa and then moved back to the United States, when he and his family arrived in North Africa, the first day they moved into their neighborhood, their Muslim neighbors were looking out their front doors to see who is this foreign family that has (laughs) arrived. Well, they opened up their front doors, and within minutes— 
he and his family had invitations to dinner. These Muslim families called down the street to him and said, you, you and your family, come to my house for dinner tonight. The very <laughs> night they arrived, they had an invitation to a Muslim's home for dinner. And this Muslim family that he met in the United States had gone 14 years and had never been invited to an American's home for a meal. Also, uh, we were in the Middle East. We were just starting to move into our apartment, putting up light fixtures and setting up furniture, and we hadn't even completely moved in yet. But our neighbor across the hall showed up the day we were moving in with tea and fresh-baked bread for us as a a sign of hospitality and welcome into the apartment building. So if Muslims are extending that type of hospitality and invitation and warmth to us, we have absolutely no excuse to not be doing the same to them. And because what a wonderful opportunity it is to share the love of Jesus. Here's the challenge, and I can hear some of our listeners. You know, I would love to invite my Muslim friends to come to my kids' games or, or to come to an event, but I don't know anything about the Quran. I'm not an apologist. I, You know, we would they'd probably ask questions that I don't know the answer to. How how do you advise them? What do you, what do you say to them? Yeah, first of all, I would just say be yourself and— when, when we talk to our, our Muslim friends, because we ourselves don't come from Muslim backgrounds, we're very careful not to be critical of the Quran, not to be critical of Muhammad, not to be critical of their way of life. We don't come from a, a place where we have kind of the cultural credit or the relational credit to be able to speak into their lives in that way. But at the same time, we can speak to them about what Jesus has done in our life, what Jesus means to us, how the Bible truly is the living Word of God, how it speaks to us daily, how when we read it, we get answers for the struggles of our lives. And so we just say, put all of the focus on Jesus, 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 Jesus. Every time that we're with our Muslim friends, when we have opportunities to talk about what God is doing in our lives or the the faith and the trust that we placed in Jesus. That's what we do. And that can be true for Christians that are living right here in the United States. If you have Muslim friends and you're getting together, you don't have to feel like, I have to have all of the answers to their questions about Christianity and about the Quran and about um, Islam and this and that. Just take what you already know, take what God has been doing in your life, and just share those things freely. John and Mary, as we finish up today, one of our goals always on Voice of the Martyrs Radio is to help people pray. How can we pray for Muslims in Europe specifically, who you're working among? How can we pray for your ministry? But but how do we pray for those people? And I think especially of refugees who, who are just coming into Europe. They've fled everything behind. Like you say, they have maybe an openness to the gospel because they've seen Islam, uh, sort of the dark side of Islam up close and personal. Uh, how do we pray for those people, and how do we pray for your work? Yeah, I think for the people group in which we're primarily involved in, I would just ask that you would pray that God would really begin to soften their hearts. For so many of them who came and they had employment and educational opportunities, life is great. They came to Europe. They're, they're earning lots of money. They're able to send some even home to their families to help provide for them. They have lots of different um, relaxation and cultural opportunities, so they don't see a need to change from the way in which they are. And so we really need God and the Holy Spirit to begin working in their lives and softening their hearts. For those who are coming as refugees, as we've talked about, the situation is quite different. Many of them have experienced some horrific situations. They are really looking critically at their life and at the religion of Islam, and there is an extreme openness there. And in fact, we've seen even in the city in which we've we've worked, hundreds coming, uh, fleeing as refugees who have now become believers and, wow. and are being baptized. Praise the Lord. And so there's mm-hmm. an opportunity there for more 
to experience the hope and truth of Jesus Christ. But then additionally, the issue that we're facing now is how do we disciple? How do we train them? And then how do they then go forward into their communities and to begin to reach those around them so we can pray for additional discipleship and training opportunities as well? Along the lines of immigrants and refugees, I would say also pray for those who are in the power to make decisions regarding taking them in. Uh, Pray for the government officials in the United States and in Canada, where we have the resources to accept more refugees. Pray for uh, those within the European Union and other parts of Europe where they are seeking to take in refugees as well, but are frankly quite overwhelmed Mm -hmm. with what to do with the volume of migrants that are coming in. Uh, I know that as Americans, sometimes our tendency is to fear. Our reaction when it comes to, when it comes to thinking about Muslim immigrants is fear, but that is not what Scripture tells us. That is not what we are commanded to do. The Bible tells us numerous times not to fear. And if I can just get on my soapbox for a few minutes, this is something I'm very very passionate about. The Lord has not called us to a spirit of fear. Amen. And when we fear Muslims. We're sinning, and fear seems to be a sin that um, that American Christians are okay with. We tend to grandstand about issues like gay marriage and abortion, but yet we're okay with fearing. We're okay with with fear with wanting to build borders and keep Muslim immigrants out. That, but that is not the, what the Lord tells us in Leviticus nineteen thirty three through thirty four. God tells us how we're supposed to treat the foreigner because we were foreigners. We are we we were foreigners ourselves, and I would say as Americans. Unless you are 100% Native American, all of us have an immigrant in our lineage. So look to what the Bible says about immigrants. Do not look to what your government tells you about immigrants. Do not look to what your culture tells you about immigrants. These people have come to your country. They have come from countries where it is very, very difficult for North Americans to get to. Mm -hmm. But yet they are in our backyards. And what an opportunity this is for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. They are usually more open to the gospel outside of their own country than they are in their home country. So let's please seize the opportunity to share Jesus with them and do not fear. You know, I think uh, as we talk about refugees and immigrants coming to America. I'm reminded of a story of Pastor Richard Wormbrand, who is the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. Pastor Wormbrand had a great heart for the people of Russia uh, and actually prayed that God would send him to Russia. Lord, I want to go to Russia. Please send me there. Please let me go there. I have such a heart for the Russian people. The Lord never opened that door. But a million Russian troops invaded his native Romania And instead of saying, oh, this is terrible, God, how could you allow this to happen? He said, praise the Lord, I've always wanted to reach out to Russians, and Mm. now there's a million of them right here in my home country. I hope some of our VOM radio listeners will take that attitude with uh, Muslim refugees and immigrants. Hopefully you've been praying that Muslims will come to know Christ. Now you might get to be part of the answer to that prayer. Hey, they're coming to your city. They're coming to your town. And as we've talked about, you don't have to be the world's greatest apologist or a Quranic expert. All you have to do is say, hey, would you like to come in and have tea? Uh, You know, maybe our kids, maybe we could go to the park and our kids could play together. Anything like that that opens the door, it's not rocket science. Uh, It simply is a heart to love people and to represent Christ to them. John and Mary, thank you. You can tell this is a little bit of my soapbox issue, too. So (laughs) if I could share your soapbox for a minute. Welcome to the soapbox. Yes, thank you. John and Mary, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for your ministry. 
uh, in your heart that comes through for Muslim people and, and to share the gospel. It's been a great pleasure having you today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thanks for having us. It Thank was you a very pleasure. much. Yeah. We've been talking with some friends. We're just calling John and Mary. Their experience working with a Muslim people group in Europe gives us important insights into how we can be involved in sharing the gospel. When you hear from people who are on the front lines of gospel work around the world, it will affect the way you interact with your world. It will give you ideas on how to share your faith in your community. So I hope you'll check out more episodes of Voice of the Martyrs Radio. You can hear every episode at vomradio.net. That's vomradio.net. Cuba has been pretty much closed to Americans and closed to the gospel for more than 50 years. But next week, we're going to hear about what God is doing there now from someone who knows what it's like on the inside. I hope you'll come back next week and join us right here on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network.